so you know Josh. I, I'm aware. Borman. Looking right at him. Yeah. <laughs> he likes baseball. Yes. The Mets, specifically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And this is not a Mets movie. What is it? What team is it? They're not, not real. Know. Okay. Okay. It's a fake team. Uh, the uh, Washington Senators. Mm. I know they're real. I was just making a joke <laughs> because I mean, they were very bad. Yeah. Well, yeah. I know baseball. Okay. 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 We haven't revealed the setup for this yet. <laughs> so I was I was talking to Josh. I was like, oh, yeah, it's like the natural. And uh, and Josh was like, oh, yeah, what's that? What's that? Is that a movie? It's the baseball it's movie. It's like the baseball movie. It is, it's my mom's favorite movie besides Bull Durham. And yeah. it's sort of like, it's it's like on par for her with that. Does I your think, mom only watch baseball movies? <laughs> pretty much exclusively, <laughs> yeah. What are her at, first, at first she oh, had like she an really awakening. She had an awakening seeing Kevin Costner on the screen. And then yes. she was like, okay, I'm going to watch all the other Kevin Costner movies. And they're all baseball movies. I was yeah, going to say, right. what, are her, what are her thoughts Field on Dreams, Field of Dreams? Love of the Game, Dances with Wolves, it's all baseball. Yellowstone. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's all baseball. Mm-hmm. Every every part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. No one's ever watched Yellowstones. No one could ever disprove us. <laughs> well, no one that listens to this podcast has ever seen an episode of Yellowstone. Right, Yellowstone. I, this, is, this is your chance, Yellowstone fans. Wait sign a second, sign, guys. I have seen Yellowstone. Have you? Oh. I lived with my parents for like a year and change. That's fair. Uh, I, I have a friend on it. And Je- Jefferson White. Good for good for him. Okay, um, and my, he's great. What's interesting is like this is the most boomer show, right? Like this mm. is the this is an extremely boomer show. We live in the West, right? No, we don't. We live in New York. Brian. We meaning me and my family lived in the West. There we go. Whatever. How the West and was won. How the West was fun. How the West was lived in by <laughs> Brian and his parents. Taylor Sheridan's uh, Mary Kate and Ashley series is uh, really phenomenal. But um, it is actually. My dad, who is the target audience for Taylor Sheridan programming, has even lived in Tulsa for a number of years. Ooh. Can't stand a fucking piece of it none of it he hates all of, he's like i tried to watch yellowstone i tried twice to watch yellowstone i hate it so aj you have not watched yellowstone uh i've seen a single clip of my friend in it yeah okay. so josh hasn't seen the natural josh you should really it's watch the, it it's, it's a great such a movie it's, it's, a, <laughs> it's a, a really good romantic highly revisionist of its source material mm. movie about baseball charlie brown it's his favorite movie and I know how much you love Charlie Brown from Peanuts. Yeah, the comic what? strip character. That's like he canonically. Yeah, loves huh. the natural. Yeah, they're they're whole. They're he loves big natural. He loves. <laughs> <laughs> so many possible worlds, but we got this one. So many possible worlds, but we got this one. Welcome. Of all possible worlds, the first and only podcast that loves big naturals. Ooh, I'm the worst of all possible AJs. I'm the worst of all possible Brian's. And I'm the worst of all possible Josh's. And this week we are not talking about the natural, um, <laughs> despite what our intro may have led you to believe. No. Uh, instead, we are back at it for another case study in the pop culture of a dying empire. This which one, empire? The Elizabethan Empire. Um, oh. But which other empire? Well, uh, yeah, Rome. Well, it's a well, it's an ascending empire. It's a dying republic. There right, so okay, we are back go. at it. We are back at it again in those white Vans. sandals. <laughs> there we are, sandals. Because we're talking about Julius Caesar. <laughs> yeah, this is a Josh episode. I wanted or, to or, introduce, or as it. they oh, like okay, to write it. it out in Latin, "Iv lives Caesar." Yeah, that's true. Um, Jehovah starts with an I. That, that's actually that's actually what the uh, the horror movie version of this is is "Iv lives." 
Mm, good one. So <laughs> this week, Top Ryan, we uh, we we wanted to you know go back to the well of Shakespeare. Um, and because before, we're theater boys, that's right. So before you stop listening, uh, before happy you pride, before you yeah. turn that dial, happy pride. We're, uh, we're trying to appeal to to marble statue Twitter. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. logic guys. <laughs> oh yeah. no, that's right. returning to tradition, real Brutus type. That's right. Yeah. Um, the quartering. Hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> No, no, pull up. So uh, anyway, yeah, this is, you know, Julius Caesar, uh, one of Shakespeare's, I would say, less appreciated plays. Oftentimes when you sort of talk about his great works, uh, you talk about Hamlet, you talk about Macbeth, you talk about, um, in some cases, if you're talking about his histories, uh, the Henriad, you know. Yeah. But generally speaking, as far as tragedies go, Julius Caesar is not really one of those plays that comes to the fore when you're thinking about Shakespeare's best. So you guys didn't study this in school, in high school? Uh, Julius college, Caesar? College for me. College? I, I studied in college. Yeah, you yeah. didn't do... What, what no. Shakespeare's did you cover in high school? So we did Romeo and Juliet, of definitely. Course, yeah. We did Hamlet. And then uh, my okay. senior year, we did Twelfth Night, but it was a Catholic school, so we weren't allowed to discuss any of the sex jokes. And I'm like, that's all it is. <laughs> there's, there's nothing else here. What do you want? Yeah, the, <laughs> what do you want? The only one that I remember doing in high school was the what's the one where there's the movie with Keanu Reeves and they get nude. Oh, much ado about much nothing. Much ado about nothing. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just couldn't. Find That's it for also some the reason. one I remember. Josh Sawyer was tweeting about it. I was like, "Oh, you got to check out." It's like towards the end of the movie uh, when they're getting like the final wedding ready. There is an extra that just totally eats shit. Like he tries to. <laughs> I, I learned this from someone at Calvin. She was like, "This is oh, the best part good. of the movie," and it's all I think about now. Like I'm watching that movie, waiting for that moment to come. Because it's just this one extra climbing over like a bench at the back of all the rows of benches. And he just falls face first onto the ground. Yeah, no, I don't think there's any such moments with extras in this movie. Although I wasn't watching. No, Um, I I mean, immaculately staged scenes with it. Yeah, my God. What was was your experience? That was my, my, that was my second. We did, you know, Romeo and Juliet freshman year. Okay, yeah, we did that in eighth grade, I remember. So Yeah, you know, I was in the poorest performing school district in the entire country. So uh, we got to it by ninth grade. All right. And uh, we did Julius Caesar when I was a sophomore in high school. Interesting. So what do you remember about it, if anything? I remember it very distinctly because like I didn't care for and I still really don't care for Romeo and Juliet. Of course, we watched the Zeffrelli movie. We watched the Baz Luhrmann. We we did both (laughs) both movies and I didn't in a single day. It was very confusing. I didn't love both of them, although I, I did really like Mercutio in both of them. Correct. Uh, did did uh, in the Safrali one? Did did they fast forward through the part where he got our tits out? Or yeah, yeah, fully like had it written, had the time code written down, okay. stopped yeah, the yeah, tape yeah. fast I, forward. Look, I went to public school and they did that exact same thing. For okay, me. so yeah. that wasn't like exclusive to Christian schools. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, reading Caesar was like, oh, I actually like this. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then and then we watched this movie that we're going to be talking about mainly today. I, I could see what was going on here. Yeah. I thought I thought it was too descriptive sometimes where it's like it's too many things that aren't happening on the stage. Yeah. Show sure. me. Don't tell me. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there is so much talking about something. And, and I was especially disappointed with the signs and wonders that happen. You know, there's people walking around who are just made out of fire. And it's like 
in many this is this is like the least mystical of Shakespeare's plays. There's like a brief appearance sure. of a ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That says yeah. he'll return and then doesn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like for the that most actor got part, tired, yeah. for the most part, this is this is very grounded in in its history yeah. and in in the prosaic details as laid out by like Herodotus and everything. And like well, you that. see, that's actually very interesting because I think that there's so much of this play that has sort of its grounding in like the world ending like mysticism of Macbeth like specifically like the way that a guy comes out he's like hey so there's like right after we hear about the assassination time like he's just like the world is fucking ending there's like Mm -hmm. earthquakes there's Mm -hmm. fire there's just like there is this like dread that is like built into the play that I think comes with that otherworldly thing but for the most part it's people in rooms talking rhetoric at each other until like huge explosions of violence happen. Well, and and I think that is why I have always found Julius Caesar to be, for me personally, the most interesting play in Mm. in, in the canon, which isn't to say that I think it's his best. Not a Timon head? Uh, Timon of Athens head? Not a huge fan of that rhetoric? So for me, Julius Caesar was not one that I studied in high school. However, it was one that I saw in high school. Oh, cool. um, Because I went to the Stratford Festival in Stratford, Ontario. Okay. Saw a production there. And then I ended up seeing it at Stratford again. Okay. And then I saw it in London. Um, All different productions. These are all different productions. (laughs) Same production. (laughs) Just remounting it again. And then I saw it in Brooklyn uh, when they brought over the production from the Donmar Warehouse. Oh, hell yeah. Wow. So, okay. and that was with uh, Harriet Walter, uh, who you okay. might know as uh, the Roy's mom in Succession. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she was excellent. But and it's the all-female cast, that one. Correct. Yeah. Oh, oh, all right. All but right. what's interesting about this play to me is that I have never seen a production of it that I really consider to be like the production. Well, there- that's because you didn't see it at Shakespeare in the Park. When Trump was, <laughs> we'll, t- we'll get to that later. Um, we have so much to talk about. So, but it's interesting. Wow, you've seen it a lot. Yeah, well, yeah. because in, and to me, it's one of those things where it's like every time I see it, I find something else that's interesting because it has yeah. so much to say about sort of the idealism of revolution versus mm-hmm. what actually happens when the rubber hits the road. It has mm-hmm. a lot to say about yeah. masculinity and the nature of male friendships and what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. It talks about what being a good dad is in a really <laughs> interesting way. There's yeah. like so many little bits and pieces in here that are so interesting to unpack both in part and in whole. And so when we were talking about doing another Shakespeare thing for the show, I think, Brian, you were actually like, hey, there's a Brando film adaptation and it's actually really good. Yeah. And as we established in the uh, opening to this episode, Josh doesn't know about movies. Correct. Uh, right. It's just like how I don't know about music. Josh tried to do more New Order references today. And we're like, <laughs> sure, Josh. OK. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I uh, bet that's funny to th- most people, just not me. Brian, how does it feel to treat me like you do? I once. I bet it does. I, I bet it does. I once went on. <laughs> I once went on a date uh, where um, we were texting for a while, and then she had me send her a playlist, and no. then she said, "We shouldn't do this." <laughs> Oh, <laughs> because my playlist what was, was on the so, playlist. Oh, here's the Is it thing. All Sondheim. Yeah, I mean, a couple. Except uh, for the cats. Look, this songs. was a long time ago. OK, this was I didn't know what music was and I still really don't. But yeah, no, it, it when you find like something like this, like this version of Julius Caesar, mm. it, it brings the text alive in a way that I didn't 
I didn't appreciate this play, I don't think, fully until I watched this movie this morning. It brought such clarity to it. Like, this is the clearest Shakespeare adaptation I think I've ever seen. Mm. Uh, film, I, film adaptation. Film adaptation. Yeah. Honestly, no, probably, probably both. Uh, really? A, yeah, a lot of... A lot of Shakespeare that I've seen has been very unclear to me. Okay. Uh, mostly wow. because I really struggle with it. Well, and I think that's what it was for me, too, yeah, when I yeah. was 15. I was like, I understand what's happening in this movie. Even, yeah. even especially with the fact that they're just talking about shit that's not happening there, which is right. why, like, King Lear is a play that I just never want to do because I don't think it's solvable. It, because mm. everyone's just talking about shit that's happening over there. It's like fucking right. like five scenes about his retinue and <laughs> like they just keep getting smaller brian uh, and it's like i get that he's behaving irrationally about his retinue but i still don't know what they're doing so <laughs> just kind of hanging around getting to fights if that's you if you Nathan. are sitting to this right now being yeah. like you know i'm not a big shakespeare person yeah. uh yeah. this doesn't feel like it's for me We've included in this episode a lot of clips of the actual movie so that you can listen and see how this language grabs you in the way that it's delivered. Yeah. And I hope that you're going to find it to be as engaging and interesting as we did. Yeah. So we might as well start by talking about the play itself. Yes. Uh, Julius Caesar, uh, a tragedy written by one William Shakespeare. Yes, yeah, he was a real of him. He was a real guy. Uh, the people who say that he wasn't a real guy are fucking stupid. Oh, and we're yeah, going to give correct. you a lot of reasons that he is a real guy. Yeah, in Julius Caesar was yeah. definitely a real guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, we have busts. What's interesting is that we we categorize this in the modern day as a history in the same vein as the Henry's. At least that's how it was taught to me. But and and there are a lot of plays that we don't categorize as histories, right? Hamlet, yeah. Lear, we don't call them histories. Right. But they are given the label in the first publishings as the tragical history oh, sure. of. Right. This is not the tragical history of Julius Caesar. Right. In yeah. the first folio, the page says the tragedy of right. Julius Caesar. And right. so, it's interesting. And so modern Shakespeare scholars also tend to categorize it as a tragedy correctly because the the, the fact is. Shakespeare was just kind of making shit up. He pretty much knew. He the, was using sources yeah. who were also making shit up. <laughs> so yeah. like he knew the broad strokes of the story. But just to quote uh, the Folger Shakespeare library here, mm. um, Shakespeare may have written Julius Caesar to be the first of his plays to take the stage at his acting company's new Globe Theater in 1599. Mm. At this important point in his career as a playwright, Shakespeare turned to a key event in Roman history. Many people in the Renaissance were passionately interested in the story of Caesar's death at the hands of his friends and fellow politicians. There was much debate about who were the villains and who were the heroes. Mm. And so Shakespeare basically took a look at that and was like, hey, I'm going to play around with these themes, these ideas. Uh, I am going to ground it in a bunch of things that I just have seen and observed mm -hmm. in what I look at when I look at the world. And uh, we're going to make these historical characters resonant in a new way without being super careful about what are the actual yeah. details of what really happened. And it right. is it is important to point out that like Shakespeare is writing about a story that people know because right. yes. in the Elizabethan age, people were getting public education, including Shakespeare himself, who was a beneficiary of that system. Right. They and what public education meant was that you learned Latin. Yeah, <laughs> you just fucking learned Latin all day long at Latin grammar schools. And along the way, you read Virgil 
and Horace and whatever else. He, if you he, want proof that Shakespeare learned Latin, read Love's Labor's Lost. There's just whole scenes in that that are just Latin puns. Yeah. And mm. if you ever tried to make those work on stage, you know you my pain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and well, and like the comedy of errors is him just adapting Roman comedies into an Elizabethan form. Sure. Right. And we know that there were other Julius Caesar plays at this time. There was one that was even written in Latin. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, in like uh, only about 10 or 20 years before this that we don't have anymore. Uh, well, that's because Shakespeare wrote the play. He wrote the play. And, yeah. yeah. You know, it, I mean, they were like the Brutus and Cassius plays and his was the Mark Antony. Like his was just the guy. Right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And it, it's, it's it took it, me a second, but I'm with you. Yeah. Yes. Do you, do, do you want to try that again? Just no. OK, we can cut it. <laughs> no, I'm keeping it. I was with you. Uh, you. I was whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just seeing you in the edit room tomorrow. Brian, you're like, God damn it. Uh, no, um, I'm 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 so chill. I have so many days to edit. This. Oh, good. So this particular film adaptation then uh, came out in what was it? 1953. It did. Yeah. Yes, it was 1953 yeah. and it lost a shit ton of Oscars the next year mm. in 1954, if anybody's looking it up. But, you know, the big the big things was like Brando was nominated for this. Yeah, he uh, was not up for best director, weirdly, but it was up for best picture. I huh. think at this point, Joseph Mankiewicz was not really in like the Academy's good graces. That's interesting anymore. because the direction is what makes this movie so interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. But he also he also wrote it, too. So, like, I feel like a yeah. lot of his adaptation no, choices did. came. Oh, uh, boy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But he adapted the Shakespeare like it's yeah, not because yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone was just like yeah, yeah they was they were like well there were so many reviews at the time it's like yeah the text is completely unedited and I'm like this is no, two hours not. long <laughs> yeah, are you no. kidding me that's, yeah it's edited and that's an important note is that Julius Caesar in its pure uncut form is like a three three plus hour long play and they got yeah. it down to two and also if you've ever read Julius Caesar everyone will remember reading that very confusing scene about Cinna the poet getting attacked and killed by a mob yep, they as opposed it. to Cinna the conspirator which is not in the movie yeah right they filmed it <laughs> but it yep. was gone yeah so uh then in terms of the big players in this yeah you had mentioned Marlon Brando yeah. um there's a few other great actors and, and we'll get to this as we get into the movie itself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it it was received, I would say, well, but mm -hmm. maybe not as well as it could have been, should have been. Kind of, yeah. kind of surprising. Well, th there's an interesting point that Roman movies, if you were making like a, a, a sword and sandals picture at this time, right. yeah. that usually meant you were going for the big budget. You were going to make it in color. And there are associations oh, that people have with the kinds of movies that are made in color, the kinds of movies that are made in black and white. But like, yeah, this would be something you make in color. You give it an intermission, which Joseph Mankiewicz did when he made Cleopatra, oh, which was okay. supposed to be two movies. And the producers didn't understand what sequels were. It's fine. Uh, it was a huge bomb. Right. Uh, but they wanted to shoot it in black and white to give it a sense of immediacy. It's an interesting thing because it's like the stereotypes that people walk in with, right? When they're, it's it's the early 50s. What's going to be a color movie? What's going to be a black right. and white movie? But they wanted a sense that almost like uh, what a lot of writers ended up doing in the late 50s, writing the You Are There educational film series. Um, they wanted it to sort of feel like a newsreel. Sure. Yeah, like a fascist newsreel specifically. Because, mm. yeah, the, the, this movie actually opens with a big old eagle that yeah, looks an eagle a flag. whole yeah. lot. For a second, I was like, is this going to be about 
if Julius Caesar were a Nazi because yeah. that doesn't make sense. But no, it's it's like <laughs> yeah. the Roman eagle. But it, yeah, yeah, it's like it's not like it's not just like an image. It is a waving banner. Mm-hmm. You kind of see it flowing in the background as the credits are, are yeah. firing up. Uh, there's actually a very another very practical reason they shot in black and white. It was because Mankiewicz didn't want to be compared with a film called Quo Vadis, oh. which which they stole the sets from, which they stole all the sets huh. from, which was in color. And so he was like, I don't want to invite comparisons with that movie. Let's put it in black and white. Yeah. And it looks completely different. And, and, and that was a much larger profile film. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And they do. They yeah. do look like completely different films, despite having a lot of the same sets and costumes. Yeah. yeah I mean, because I, I do think there's something interesting there about the immediacy, the way that it grabs you right away. It drops you right into the action from the very beginning. We're just out in. I guess the town square. And this is, I believe these are the actual first lines of the play Mm -hmm. too. They haven't, they haven't skipped ahead, but this is kind of an unusual way that this play starts is one of my, one of the, one of Shakespeare's better first scenes. I've talked about that before, how he has a lot of bad first scenes. Henry five is interminable, (laughs) but like, Oh, any Henry. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But like, uh, Hamlet has a great first scene yeah. and this has a great first scene. What makes for a good first Shakespeare scene is when it just drops you into the action and it's yeah. like, hey, keep up. Yeah, and some this stuff does is happening. exactly that. No yeah. long speech. No, no, no. <laughs> like, it's just he works best when there's dread. Yeah. When mm. there's just like something bubbling under the surface. And in this case, it's the evils of democracy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So we've got we got Flavius and Morolis, and mm. these are basically two guys Rosencrantz and Guildenstern who yeah. are still supportive of the previous Caesar. Uh, they're not a big fan of Julius. Pompey uh, was his name. And so yeah, well, well, he wasn't really a Caesar. He was a dictator. Right. Yes. Yes. And, yes. and in, in modern parlance, this is a little confusing because dictator was not a super powerful role. It was an executive role mm-hmm. that you did for a year. You were elected by the Senate. You were subservient to the Senate, mm. um, but it allowed you to make some choices and then you were out of that role. And so one of the big things that Caesar does when he comes back from all of his campaigns and he builds up all the support and crosses the Rubicon, et cetera, is he declares himself dictator for life. Right. And this is something that uh, Flavius and Marullus are very concerned about because they still remember Pompey, the previous guy, and they found him to be a, a great and effective leader and one who held himself above the public in a yeah. way that Julius does not. Yeah, Gaius Julius Caesar is a fucking populist in a yeah. lot of ways, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and people love him. They, they don't. Yeah. They don't necessarily fear him. They kind of love him. They're yeah, like, they dig him. Oh, he's yeah. my guy. Like we're out here having a you party get a beer today. With him, you know, exactly. Yeah. He's it, speaking across certain class divides, right? right? Because there are levels of participation that are allowed for different classes. If you're an equestrian, you can do this but not this, right? If you're if you're nobility, you can be part of the Senate. You can be a dictator. You can't, you know, be over here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and and then there's just a bunch of people who are fucked. So this play does have a little bit of an issue where it's like you got Flavius and Marullus and you think they're going to stick around and matter. They no. don't. They're no. just there in the beginning to like set the table for you. But that's OK. And because, they instantly get killed. Yeah. Well, right. Because they're bad mouthing Caesar. Bad mouthing Caesar. And that's a problem. Yeah. And then Caesar comes in as he sort of walks in through the gate. A mysterious soothsayer arrives. Look upon Caesar. What sayst thou to me now? Speak once again. Beware the Ides of March. He is a dreamer. Let us leave him. Pass! Pass! <laughs> 
<laughs> Great fucking score on this movie. Wouldn't that be so fun? Like, you just go to a parade. Like, that, that's what I'm going to do as an old man. I'm going to walk to, you know, all the parades that happen. Uh, these days, there's there's a parade. You know, there's like two a day, right? Yeah, ticker tape. All you just get guys. to yeah, yeah. you just get to walk up to one with a big cane that makes a lot of noise, mm -hmm. a lot of bells on it, and yeah. then just say a sooth or two. Yeah, and we love ruin everyone's sooth. day. That's right. Yeah. What What's very funny about the soothsayer is that he he is a blind man who has this cane. Yeah. And refuses to use it. Yeah. He's just he puts his hands out in front of him and like you have a walking stick, my yeah. guy. <laughs> and. Do you think, as far as class, I'm always a little, like, is he just some guy who lives out in the wilderness, or is he a citizen? Is he a citizen with a cane? Oh. Mm, good question, Brian. Yeah. But yes, this soothsayer, he has now made this horrible premonition of something bad is going to happen on the Ides of March. Yeah, turns uh, out it's a, it's a deadly premonition. <laughs> Thank you for picking that one up. We can't tease it. We can't tease it and then not do it, Brian. Um, but yes, the well, maybe we will do it. We, we're we're going to do this for years, folks. Yeah, <laughs> we got time. We're playing the long game. But the Ides of March corresponding with, uh, it's the 15th of March, basically. Yes. March 15th, yes. the Ides. But yeah, you got to be aware of it, right? Yeah. And uh, Caesar... I'm, I love being aware of Ides. Yeah, same. <laughs> Caesar pretty immediately tenses up from this. He's He's pretty freaked out. And... So, too, is his wife, Calpurnia, mm -hmm. uh, and his main squeeze, Antonius, Mark Antony, yeah. uh, played mm. by an unbelievably attractive Marlon Brando. Yes. This was um, this was Marlon Brando in his absolute. I mean, this was like the third movie he did. Yeah, this was two, this was Brando does streetcar. Right. Mm -hmm. And basically reinvents acting. Right. Yeah. As we know it in the United States. He's a, he is a what year was that uh, streetcar? It was 1951. So this was two years later in yeah, between yeah. streetcar and this. He was he did brown face in a movie yeah. <laughs> that was sort of he played a Mexican revolutionary. <sighs> yeah. Viva is, Zapata. Yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, a, it's an interesting movie, honestly. But uh, yeah, he, he plays Emiliano Zapata himself. Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 Real, real rough. But he basically reinvents acting. Right. He is he is an uh, acolyte of Stella Adler is sort of his main person even though Strasbourg would go on for years to try and claim him no. as one of his own he was Brando was 100% an Adler kid yeah. uh, across the board there's something especially about Kowalski like there was something he had to prove with Caesar mm. yeah because when he did Streetcar all the reviews were like look there's a raw intensity to this like it seems to be like this new like revolution of actor who are just like these like masculinity incarnate like this sort of raw emotion that's just beaming out of their faces but he's a little mumbly so Hey there, you are listening to a preview of a premium episode of The Worst of All Possible Worlds. If you'd like to listen to the rest of this, head on over to our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash worst of all. And you can listen to not only the rest of this episode, but our entire backlog of premium episodes, bonus episodes. And if you subscribe at the $10 tier, you will get an extra episode of the podcast every single month. Again, that is patreon.com slash worst of all. Hope to see you there.